killers, murderers, decoding the crime verse. 911, what's your emergency? Welcome to Decoding the Crime Verse. I am Nalty Lee. And I am Danny. And it's 2022, but nothing's changed. No. Because we're still doing disgusting topics. Thanks to Danny. Listen, I don't understand why she doesn't want to give you variety on the show. She wants to do. You know what? Because you guys, like me, understand the fact that we don't like gore. But this was an interesting case. Most crimes come with gore. Interesting is relative. You told me you didn't find the whole police thing interesting. Interesting is relative. <laughs> Stop lying to yourself. She's lying. She's even, she can't keep the laughing. Okay. But today we are talking about the mad butcher of Kingsbury Run. Okay. And today we are going to investigate the Cleveland torso murder. Yes. Cleveland's in America, right? Yeah. Okay, thank goodness. I was about to be like, oh my word. He was one of the most gruesome serial killers of all time. Between 1934 and 1938 in Cleveland, Ohio, near, King, near Kingsbury Run, 13 people, six, of, six women and seven men varying in age were killed by a serial killer. Of those 13, only three were identified and almost all of them were homeless or prostitutes. The <laughs> What? Sorry, just carry on. I can't deal with this man. <laughs> the killer often dismembered the body through the torso and in no instance was the body found fully intact. The gruesome tendencies would earn the killer the name the Cleveland Torso Killer or the Mad Butcher of Kingsbury Run. The poor homeless people, first of all. Before we get to the <laughs> disgustingness of this man. Like, for, <laughs> this man is well, not okay, Danny. You chose him. Let's, well, to give you some background on Kingsbury, okay? So, um, it's a was quite a bleak and dangerous place in the 1930s. And many were poor and they lived in terrible conditions. It actually earned the area, the nickname, the Hobo Jungle. Imagine living there. Yeah. Okay. And it was also an area, there was also an area within Kingsbury Run called the Roaring Third, which was known for gambling bars, dens, and brothels. Okay. And it was just overall not the greatest place to be. At all. No. <laughs> so we'll jump straight into the timeline of the killings because there's quite a few. So on the September 5th, 1934, they found the first victim. Um, who was an unidentified woman in her 30s. All that that was found of her was part of her torso, thighs, and other body parts, but there was no head. Her skin... <laughs> just watching Nolene's No, face. carry on. Carry on, Her going. skin was leathery and red from chemical preservation, okay? On September 23rd, 1935, which is, like, which is a year later, the second victim was found, okay? And it was 28-year-old Edward... Andrassy, okay? The body was drained of blood, naked, and emasculated, and he had rope burns on his wrists. On that same day, the third victim was found, okay? And it was an unidentified 40-year-old male, okay? He had been decapitated and emasculated, okay? And the body also had the same chemical preservation as the first killing, okay? Then, on January 26, 1936, they found the fourth victim, which was a woman named Florence um, pillow, po. You know what, guys? We know I Polillo. can't. Polillo, Same thing, but anyway, she was wrapped up in news um, newspapers. She was a known sex worker, barmaid, and waitress. Okay, and she lived in the area of the Roaring Third. Okay, then on the fourth, 
not the 4th, the 5th of June, 1936, the head of the fifth victim was found wrapped in trousers, but the rest of the body was found the next day in front of the police building. He was an un- unidentified man. On the 22nd of July, 1936, do you see how the killings like got closer and closer together? Like it was a year apart, then like yeah. six months apart, and now literally like a month apart. Yeah. Okay, and the sixth victim was found um, in the woods, and he was an unidentified 40-year-old male. Okay, the one thing that was noteworthy, though, about him was that um, there was blood on the ground suggesting that he'd been killed on site and not dumped, which was not like the other um, victims. Yeah. Because the rest, it, like, it looked like they'd been moved to their locations, okay? The other victims were dismembered in a way that um, was m- medically efficient and most likely done after death, uh, and this killing seemed like it had been in the heat of the moment, almost like um, you know, like that crime of passion type of yeah. thing. So they do say this could have been the same guy who was just getting a bit more angsty, or it was a totally different guy. Yeah. So which makes sense. Then on September tenth, nineteen thirty-six, we have the seventh victim, which was found by the train tracks. Okay, again an unidentified man, and he was killed by decapitation. Okay, the coroner then noted on this victim that the the cuts were confident and it implied that the killer um, was had education in human anatomy. And at this point, the local papers, basically every day in the newspaper, there was reports about the investigation and the murder spree. I mean, it's quite a lot of people have already d- died. And I mean, it's not exactly the <coughs> nicest way to go. <laughs> okay. Which put a, a considerable amount of heat on the investigation authorities because people are like, okay, you need to catch this killer, yeah. mean, which is understandable. They they interviewed over 1,500 people, okay? Even detectives went undercover. Like, they were trying everything to try and find this killer. And the heat actually played a role later on in the investigation. So on February 23rd, 1937, the eighth victim was found and it was an unidentified woman in her 30s. On June 5th, 1937, the ninth victim was found and this was a woman named Rose Wallace. Okay, her remains were merely a skull in the bag, in a bag, okay? On the July 6th, 1937, the 10th victim was found, also um, just um, bones in a bag in a river and he was an unidentified man in his mid to late 30s okay his heart had been ripped out and he'd been gutted can you understand why like this is more gruesome than edward gain so like as we're going through these victims well the 11th victim was found in april slash may of 1938 as parts were discovered in the river and she was again an unidentified woman okay interestingly this was the first time the victim was found with drugs in their systems and it let the let well it let the authorities to wonder if he was drugging his victims and that's why he was able to cut them so confidently because they weren't moving because they were drugged yeah okay all these gruesome murders like we said put increasing pressure on safety director Elliot Ness. Now, Elliot Ness was famed for running a group that um, did the busts on Al Capone's brewery. So he was a very big figure in police. Like people describe him as a law enforcement legend. Okay. And he was determined to find this killer because, I mean, he had a, did like this decorated track record. I mean, he's this wannabe legend and now he's not finding anything and his reputation is on the line. <laughs> so 
that again plays an important role when we get to the suspects. Okay, but on the 16th of August 1938, the 12th and victims were found in perhaps the most reckless location of all. They were both unidentified and the bodies were found within view of Elliot Ness's office window. This man. <laughs> As a taunt. Mm. Two days later, on August 18th, 1938, at 12.40am, Director Ness and a squadron of 35 detectives and police officers raided Kingsbury Run's hobo jungle. They rounded up 63 men and searched their shacks for any sign of the killer. Ness then ordered the shacks to be burnt down. The people were displaced and charged with being homeless and pled guilty. And, well, they then had no place to go because he burnt down their entire community. I don't understand how you plead guilty to being homeless. I think, like, yeah, going I also through don't this, understand uh, that, that was the one thing that I was like... But, I mean, <laughs> I don't care how much you want to catch a killer. You can't go and ruin 63, 63 other people's yeah. lives. I mean, according to James Biddle, which is a... He's, a, like, a, a really knowledgeable person on this case. He studied it for years and... We're going to speak about a lot of his evidence. He said that Ness's raid was intended to protect the homeless in a backwards way. Basically saying that he was trying to eliminate the pool of potential victims. That's absolute nonsense. Okay, you're trying to protect the homeless by making 63 whole families homeless. homeless. Mm-hmm. And Doesn't then apparently also just wanted their fingerprints so that if they were killed, that he'd have their on file oh so it's go out there and get killed and then at least we'll know who you are i'm like what is that (laughs) it's absolutely ridiculous okay and his ness's reputation was damaged because of this action and this then also motivated him to come down more hard on the investigation so we're going to dive into the suspects and we have two the one is pretty boring but then we have the other one so that's the one i want to get to (laughs) and then we'll tell you what we think happened nolene is still very upset with me for this i I really am like this this was not a i could have chosen a cannibal but i chose not to she's still gonna choose one just because you didn't choose it now doesn't mean you're not gonna choose that's why she's banned from choosing topics no we're going to have nice topics this year, I promise you. <laughs> we had nice topics Please last forgive year. us for this topic. Please don't stop listening to our show. We really do like love and appreciate you guys. It's just Danny went off on his spree with but this one. In, you know what? She's just stubborn. And So no, please leave. come back next week. Please. I have to beg them now. Please come back next week. You know what? Danny's still not eating Nestle. We promise. I read, oh, can I tell you what happened? So, guys, I don't know why I made this promise on, on, on this show that to never eat Nestle again. But if you don't know what I'm talking about, please go listen to the show about Nestle. Um, we went to get McFlurries. And my favorite McFlurry is the Smarty McFlurry. <laughs> and I had to, I couldn't get it because it was Smarty. That was so sad. And it was supposed to be my last treat before the fast. I couldn't have my smarty McFlurry. So, <laughs> you know what? You see, you because of that, please listen to our show no, again. No, but actually, week. listen. We're not is, always like this, I promise you. We don't give you. This minutes of Nolene's life of discomfort. I have to live with that for the rest of my life. Okay, but like, guys, you guys are also like not understanding why we would choose such an ugly topic. So next you know week. It's fine. Just come back next week. You love and appreciate us no matter what we give you. But anyway, so our first suspect is 52-year-old Frank Dol- Dolezal. Yeah. Okay, cool. 
It's 2022. I'm still butchering names. It's, it's great <laughs> over here. So in July of 1933, he was arrested by County Sheriff Martin O'Donnell for the murder of Florence Pololio. Pololio? What? what? <laughs> yeah. I keep wanting to say polio. <laughs> and I don't know why. For the first time she said pillow, so... Yeah. I told you, new names don't <laughs> not we don't see eye to eye. Okay, she was the fourth victim, if you remember from everywhere. Okay, he actually lived with her for some time and he also knew the victims Edward and Rose. Following his arrest, he confessed to murdering Florence. However, he later stated that he had been beaten and recanted his confession. He had suffered six bro- for, for six broken ribs while in custody of the sheriffs, further casting doubt on the confession. Do you see how much they were like just desperate to say that they'd like made an arrest? Yeah. Like they were willing to beat it out of him. Okay. The confession appeared to be coached as it was a mix of pre-packaged details and incomprehensible ramblings according to case expert James Bedell who we spoke about earlier okay nonetheless he remained incarcerated for the crime however one month later on August 1939 he committed suicide in his jail cell and here's not this is where I love these type of things Mm -hmm. so he hung himself from a hook that was five feet seven inches from the ground but he was five feet eight inches tall. So how can you hang up yourself from an object that you are taller than? Yeah. It's not physically possible. It does not make sense. It does not. Laws of <laughs> physics, laws of biology, everything. Laws of nothing. Nothing is supporting this theory. All, they just throw away the laws of everything. And they're like, oh, he committed suicide. <laughs> Great. So I personally do not think it was him. I feel like they were desperate. The fact that he... Um, I think they used him as a scapegoat because he knew the three victims they'd yeah. identified. Yeah. So, and I mean, if you're a serial killer, you don't kill the people closest to you. No, That's you don't. That's not how they work. And so why kill three people closest to you, but then, then the other everyone else is was just, just nobody? People. So it doesn't make sense. So our next suspect is Dr. Francis E. Sweeney. Haven't we had a Sweeney before on the show? We have. <laughs> Wasn't it Swingle? No. Wait, was that what I said? Was it Sweeney? I think it was Sweeney. It was the... Go but listen to our shows. You'll know what we're talking about. It was the Texacona Phantom Killer. There was someone similar there with yes. Sweeney. Again, if you haven't listened, go listen. Okay. In the 1970s, Sweeney was discovered um, to be security director Elliot Ness's secret Suspect again, we love secret suspects. Yeah, okay. Sweeney was also thought to have been the killer, according to the case expert James Bedell, who has from as of 2014 had spent 18 years researching the case. That's I mean, dedication. That's the yeah, no. mm-hmm. that's wait. So that's 2014 is 18 years. 2014 was eight years ago, right? So that's like 26 years. Hectic, solid. That's dedication. Mm. Okay. Dr. Sweeney fit the profile. Okay. He obviously was a doctor, so he had the necessary skills and the knowledge to perform the killings. Okay. And um, he'd also been to court multiple times because of his alcoholism, abuse with his wife and his two sons. So he wasn't the nicest or greatest man, yeah. man at home. 
Okay, he actually checked himself into a mental institution in 1956, which was right when the killings stopped, and mm-hmm. he was diagnosed with schizophrenia, which I'm not surprised. Okay, but let's backtrack back to 1938. So Elliot Ness secretly apprehended Sweeney, taking him into an old Cleveland hotel where he kept him for 10 to 14 days. Okay, the inventor of the modern polygraph, Leonard killer administered a lie detective test to sweeney which he failed twice listen leonard stated that's your man i might as well throw my machine out the window if i say anything different okay ness then um, proceeded to he had to proceed very carefully right because sweeney was the cover cousin of congressman martin l sweeney at the time so with this affiliation to a political figure and the fact that this lie detector test wasn't exactly legal because they was apprehended without warrants and things like that couldn't exactly just be like oh by the way we're going to trial now (laughs) um we have this lie detector test oh he's a liar no because you you messed up and you did it in secret you know that's actually i think that was so stupid in my own yeah. Humble opinion. Okay, but in 1938, a homeless man named Emil Fronick told the authorities that a doctor had tried to drug him. The police then investigated um, because this man, this homeless man, had said he'd been like taken to this like doctor's room that was like hidden, and but yeah. they couldn't find anything, so they kind of just uh, dismissed it. Like this is a crack crackhead person just trying to get attention. You know yeah. what? When they don't take it seriously. However, more than 70 years later, James Bedell discovered that Francis Sweeney had actually practiced medicine out of a modest-looking building in that area. Okay? It's in that building that Bedell believes Sweeney could have drugged his victims. Okay? The problem is, though, with the torso murders, there would have been a lot of blood. Yeah. And, obviously, if he was killing the people in this place that, that um, Badal had found, there would have been a lot of incriminating evidence as well as people would have started raising eyebrows like, what's cracking? I mean, yeah. you can't just cut people in half and not leave any trace. Yeah. Okay. So later on, a um, this man named David Colas, who is a scientific uh, um, identification person, so he like, uses, I'm just sure, forensic. Yeah. He was interviewed by the Cleveland police in 1983, and he suggested that Sweeney probably had an agreement with an undertaker so that he could practice, and probably was like he wanted to practice uh, surgery on unclaimed body- yeah. bodies in like this, um, in a funeral home. Because, I mean, that kind of makes sense, like yeah. for science. He's a doctor. This theory becomes even more possible due to the fact there was a funeral home literally next to where Sweeney's office was the one where they say he was going to drug people so he literally had access to take the people he had drugged cross to the funeral home and cut them up hectic fun times (laughs) not really unless well not if you're being cut up don't go get cut up guys um after that basically this funeral home was also a very short ride away from where many of the victims had been found. Yeah. So, I mean, it made sense that this is like the perfect opportunity. And Badal actually um, interviewed or had help from the great nephew of one of Francis Sweeney's colleagues. And they were actually able to cre- put together photos and diagrams and compare the torso killer to Sweeney's movement. And it was 
he, he quotes, he said it was disturbing how accurate it was. Yeah. Which is pretty freaky, okay? And it was all this information, the funeral home, the office, putting together these diagrams, things like that, that Bedell concluded that Sweeney had to be the killer. Yeah. Okay, but he stated, I think I put together a pretty good circumstantial case. I realize you couldn't take it to court, and I realized that back then they couldn't have taken it to court either. Okay. And that was the thing, because Ness didn't follow the rules. He did the illegal lie detector test, but yeah. he couldn't take it to court. And many people criticized Ness and be like, if he'd followed the rules, he probably would have got evidence against Sweeney at some point, and then, and then, then he would have been locked up. Yeah. Okay. There is, however, some criticism to Bedal's theory. Um, crime reporter Donna. Doris O'Donnell believed that somebody at the funeral home would have noticed that, that there were weird, weird things going on. Yeah. Bedell then acknowledges this and said he probably started out at the funeral home for the initial murders, but then moved away when it was going to start becoming suspicious. Okay, and But to be fair, like his first murders were like, they were years apart. So I don't understand why it would have raised suspicion, if, yeah. the, if you get what I'm saying. Because yeah. if the, you, like, walked into the funeral home one day and be like, oh, what's that? And, like, a year later, you won't, like, connect the dots, yeah. if you get what I'm saying. This is also, O'Donnell was also not so much believed because it's thought that she's biased since her uncle was the sheriff who arrested the suspect, Frank, who was the first suspect we spoke about. So mm -hmm. she's probably trying to be like, no, my uncle knew what he was doing. He was <laughs> a good detective. Okay. Others, including the lead detective on the Torso murders, um, said that they believed that the Torso murderer was connected to a whole bunch of murders that had happened in Newcastle, Pennsylvania. But, now listen to this. This is like the whole Agatha mm -hmm. Christie with the witches thing. They felt Sweeney was too overweight to make the railroad trip back and forth from Newcastle and Cleveland. So they discounted him as a suspect. That is stupid. So do they say um, overweight people can't be criminals? You know what I mean? You know what I mean? You can't kill them. You're overweight. That's his exercise. That's what he does for exercise. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> He's not wrong. But like of all things, I mean, and where's your proof that these murders of the Newcastle thing are connected? Yeah. Like, are you just saying that they're similar MOs? I mean, it, where's the proof? And... If you also if you're overweight, why taking why is taking a train like a problem? A problem. Like you're sitting down. It's yeah. not like you're walking. <laughs> if he was walking to Newcastle, I might have been like, oh, yeah, no, it's not what's happening? No, oh, he was sitting in a train. Yeah. So I, I don't know. This is again the you know the dogs and then the witches where they were finding Agatha Christie. Same yeah. type of police work, <laughs> right here. Okay. He had, however, this lead detective wasn't told about Sweeney's secret inter interrogation with a lie detector test. But, I mean, that, that shouldn't have changed anything. Yeah. Regardless, Francis Sweeney remained the most popular suspect and was believed to be the killer. However, there is no definitive proof and the case remains officially unsolved. It's him. No, a hundred and ten percent. One hundred and ten. It's him. The fact that he even had to be checked into a mental... I mean, you, if, yeah. you, if you're cutting people up, you deserve to be in a mental you do. institution. But, like, again, it's the... And, I, I mean, I'm grateful for law enforcement and stuff like that. But it's the stupid mistakes that they make. We've seen it often on the show. That yeah. leads to people being left let out on the street. And you look and you're like... Why? The tapes right. were 
um, destroyed in a flood. Oh my word, we froze the gloves. They don't fit. Yeah. Like, oh my goodness, we forgot to test the evidence and now the man has been killing for an extra two years. You know what I mean? Like, Or they just stupid. leave stuff on the shelf for like a couple of years and they're like, oh. Oh, but, oh let's but test it. Away. Oh, wait, he really was the murderer. Yeah, that was him. What? So, for me, I feel like, and I, I'm quite disappointed because Elliot Ness, with what he did with Al Capone, I mean, he really was yeah. a incredible law enforcement man. I don't understand why he did things the way he did because I, he could have caught this guy. And I, I believe he would have if he had done it right. I believe he did it wrong and he had a chance to still fix it. I mean, it's not not fixable. No, exactly. But he I believe he didn't fix evidence. it because he was probably told off by this relative who was a yeah, big political figure. And then he thing. was like, no, no, it's fine. I won't investigate further. Let's just arrest which that is, guy. Which is also then quite... Yeah. Like, I, But you see, the thing is, if he was one of the people who weren't paid off with Capona, he doesn't seem like the person who'd then be intimidated by another official but this is i i believe this would be different because we know people in high political places they like don't only go after you oh that's true. they go after your yeah, daughter well, i'm your... pretty sure al capone could have we will we we promise I... we promise you we will have an, an episode on al capone no, this coming, year we, we haven't planned don't you worry i'm very it's excited coming. but uh yeah it's, it's kind of just disappointing because I mean, he was such a great detective and I really feel like he could have solved it. If yeah. He, I mean, why do the legal lie detector thing? I know they did it illegally. Oh, unless they got dirt on him that could bury him. I mean, I know they did it illegally because uh, they couldn't get a warrant because although Sweeney matched the profile of the killer, that's not enough to get yeah. an arrest warrant. So they couldn't yeah. then do the lie detector te- test. But then rather have gathered more evidence first. Yeah. I mean, he clearly is the killer. <laughs> Clearly. He must be dead now. You guys can't see this, but right now in studio, um, Danielle looks like a cop because she's wearing an NYPD shirt. I am. <laughs> and it's from the actual NYPD. <laughs> um, we went to the American 2019 and we stayed across, our hotel was across the road from an NYPD station. I was like, oh, I need a shirt. They have like a gift shop. So. Oh. Yeah. So you're just like, hey, can I please buy a shirt? Bury some evidence for you. Burn some I, tapes. I would never be that. <laughs> no, no, no. What is this? What do you mean? Um, we don't know. We don't know. Me. <laughs> oh, okay, but you know, let me let's end it there before me and Jolie start <laughs> arguing about something else on this show. But we are very glad that you're back for 2022, and we yes. hope you enjoyed this episode. But from now until next week, no mornings, no funerals. <laughs>